This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This podcast is part of the 76ers Podcast Network. Search 76ers Podcast wherever you get your pods. The buildup was big. The hype, understandably huge. But the 76ers matchup with the Brooklyn Nets took a little bit of a left turn. It didn't have as much star power as we expected or hoped, but in the end didn't really matter. They beat Brooklyn and take over first place. We break down the Brooklyn game and what the outcome means for the long term. I'm Lauren Rosen. I'm Devon Givens. And I'm Brian Seltzer. Plus, we look ahead to some other important games in the next week here on the Friday Deep Dive. The 76ers and Brooklyn Nets did indeed play a game at the center on Wednesday, a 123-117 victory for the 76ers over the Nets, a big one at that. Not quite the same way we envisioned this matchup playing out, guys. What was your reaction when you found out the circumstances that were going to be surrounding the Brooklyn Nets heading into the game on Wednesday? How did you receive that news? My reaction was simple. It was, let's go win this game. I mean, it, the win got easier to achieve. Of course, for for a spectacle and as a fan, would have loved to see everybody, but I have a feeling there will be more opportunities to see everybody. To me, my knee-jerk reaction, and I'm sure that's not the takiest, most fun answer for a podcast, but was, let's go win this game. It's a hard game that got a lot easier. Let's do it. And they were able to do it, despite some struggles there at the end. I agree. Uh, the, the sentiment for me was, okay, uh, go get this W. The number one seed is on the line. Every win counts with, as of Wednesday night's game, 18 games remaining. And you two teams tied right now for the top spot in the East. Every win counts. And not only was it just that every win counts, this is also the season series tiebreaker. So make sure you go out there and handle your business. If they want to do that, that's their prerogative. Now you go handle your business and we'll figure it out later on. And just let's just go out there and play some basketball. So that's where I was. I, of course, I think like a lot of people, was disappointed. I would have loved to have seen at least two of Brooklyn's big three out there 
just to get a sense of how the 76ers might scheme it up. But then after that initial disappointment wore off, I started thinking a little bit more. I was like, A, great. Brooklyn's conceding this. 76ers, we know you have a great home court advantage. Might even be more fans in the building by the time the postseason rolls around. In particular, an Eastern Conference Finals matchup where in all likelihood these two teams would meet up again. Fine, go out and get it. And then I was also like, Brooklyn still has kind of a decent line. They still had a decent team that they were able to roll out there. It wasn't like it was going to be a walk in a park type situation. So I thought it was still a good test for the Sixers. I thought it was still a good test. Not the test we all hope for. But I was like, fine. If you want to concede 76ers, sure. make them feel the pain. Make them regret it. Well, Kyrie Irving was still going to play. So if he was going to play, you're still talking about an all NBA all-star level player where you have to account for him. And not only that, what's the challenge defensively to stopping him and not letting him go off the way that we know he's capable of doing it? And DeAndre Jordan seeing the matchup with Joel Embiid once we realized that he was going to be available. Uh, I'm a Joe Harris, uh, you know, fan from afar where I, I enjoy his shooting, the way that he plays the game. So with that, as you said, Celts, there were many, there were more than enough uh, weapons on that side for you to be worried about and respect the way that they play where you had to go out there and make sure you lace up your sneakers and go play that game in order to get the W. So I agree with you. I do think what you said, D, was one of the initial takeaways. Obviously, A, right, Kyrie Irving still playing at extremely very high of a level, and then he reminded everyone of that in the first quarter. He came out, and he was pulling out all the tricks. Irving shaking bake against Thibel, and he banks it home. There he is. That is so sweet. That's ridiculous. Like, Thibel is elite on the defensive end, and he just left him in his wake. And right away you're reminded just how talented he is. So I thought that whether it was a test for Ben Simmons or someone like Matisse Thibel, good to have the opportunity to see Kyrie, who I think when he's been out there has been playing at a really high level this season. Yeah, and the Sixers hadn't seen Kyrie yet this season. So if nothing else, a good opportunity to see him once, try to learn his tendencies, especially if you're someone like Matisse who does not have that experience figuring out one of the best offensive players in the game. Really good to just get those first few reps under your belt because the butterflies will be there in the playoffs for anybody. And and nice to at least have some hands-on experience with someone that you could see down the road. Before we go any further, before the game, Steve Nash was asked how he, I think the way the question was phrased, and I know, Lauren, you were on the Zoom availability, so you can remind me. Steve Nash was asked, how do you weigh short-term April 15th versus longer-term May 15th? The reporter implying that, hey, there's a game to potentially win right now for currently first place and a tiebreaker in the Eastern Conference, or you just want try and make sure that your roster's healthy and ready to go by the time the postseason rolls around. And Steve Nash's response was, we're not trying to be cute. I'm honestly, we didn't think about it that deeply at all. Like, uh, you know, I think when you start to really try to be cute, it, it backfires most of the time. So for us, it was just, you know, it wasn't uh, strategic. It was, this is what, this is the availability we have. That's simply what happened is that like, let's not get cute and try to figure this out. Let's win the game in front of us because as the season has shown, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Essentially, he was saying, don't read into this. There's nothing going on here. There's no gamesmanship, nothing to read into here. Not buying it. I'm not buying it. Uh, and I'm not buying the, the gamesmanship and all they went with it because, look, you know, with everything that happened in, in Minneapolis earlier in the week, you know, it was, it was sad to hear that, you know, all over again. And uh, unfortunately, with that, they had a day off and they were moved to the next day, which was Tuesday. 
to play the game. They had a decision to make where you decide to sit Kevin Durant against the Minnesota Timberwolves, or you can have him come and play that game against the 76ers, which was a primetime game, a more important game in terms of the seeding that we mentioned at the top, and that's where they could have gone. But I think, to your point again, Celts, a little it was they were digging a little deeper with that that gamesmanship there where well hey we've we as individuals not yet as a team have gotten to you know the mountaintop and gotten to the eastern conference uh, pardon me the uh eastern the western conference finals whether we're talking about harden irving and durant and we've gotten there with all due respect you have not just yet so while this is a really good story and we respect you we respect you just enough that we will, if we have to concede a little bit and that, that gamesmanship, that they would decide that at the end of the day, uh, they're not worried later on once we meet in the postseason. So uh, I'm not buying what Steve Nash was, was selling on that one. I think Steve Nash is a good guy. I'm willing to believe what he had to say. As soon as he said it, it for me, it was one of those moments of like, does he have another option? Like, what was he going to say? Yeah, we are being cute. Look at us go. We're so smart and strategic. Like, he, he only had one option of what to say. And he said, this is how the chips fell and, and we're going to play with them. And I respect the way that he handled it. But yeah, I was with you guys immediately when I heard it. I was sort of like, I don't know. <laughs> but but you know that, that that was the only way for him to answer the question. And who knows? Maybe Maybe it could come back to bite them down the road. It definitely was the only thing that he could say in that situation. But right, I think there's something to what you pointed out, Devon, that there's an NBA champion on the roster in Kyrie Irving. There's a champion on the roster in Kevin Durant. James Harden has been close. I think it plays into their psyche. The psyche they want to have is like, you know what, Sixers, if you want to talk all season long about wanting to win the Eastern Conference, fine. Go ahead. Do that. That's nice. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, you've gotten as far as the second round. Okay, if you want right. to strive for the top of the conference, great. But we, talking about those three players, particularly two of them in Irving and Durant, know what it's like to really be at the summit, the ultimate. And I think that even how the game played out, and we're going to get into some more specifics, but how the game played out with their reserves, talking about Brooklyn making a run at the end and seeing some of the gesticulating and mannerisms and demeanorisms on the sideline of the bench with Durant and Blake Griffin. I was kind of playing up the, like, we're the older heads here. You know, this is just fun. Look at our younger guys making a game yeah, out of this. Exactly. exactly. And, and that's exactly how I took it. Again, you, you said, hey, we're not being cute here, Steve Nash is saying it. But, again, coming from them, it was more, you guys are cute. And we respect you. We respect you as all-stars. We, we see you. We enjoy that time together. But when we see you later on, uh, you know, uh, okay. And, uh, but that, look, that goes with, that, as you said, Celtics and Lauren, it's the, the games and shit. It's the game within the game. And, and that's all right. Because at the end of the day, how do you respond to that? So when you're a young team like Philadelphia is, as far as playoff experience, getting to the second round, but wanting to eventually get to that Eastern Conference Finals and then even further, these are the types of hurdles that you're going to have to overcome. And while Brooklyn is just coming together, and this might be the team, Milwaukee, Miami, whoever it may be, you, you, have your, you have your checkpoints that you have to cross off before you get to where you want to go. And maybe that is going to be the Brooklyn Nets and not the Boston Celtics or any other team, but I like it. I, I like the theater, the theater that now comes with this if, if, if this is how it's looked at within the Sixers locker room. 
because it sets up a great part of the narrative. And if you're looking at this from a fan perspective, mm-hmm. do maybe some of the antics of Brooklyn and how this all played out, does it right. grind your gears a little bit? Of course. But that's what this is all about. It helps make a rivalry that hasn't really existed only in kind of theory for everyone saying, well, this is where the Sixers are going to end up and this is where the Nets are going to end up. It adds something sure. to it without some of those guys even playing in a game. So I think it just helps add another layer to a narrative that I think everyone's hopeful we get to see a couple more chapters of before the end of this summer. Lauren, I can, I can tell you that real fast. Based on the phone calls already that I've taken, <laughs> the, the Sixer fans, number one, do not like the Brooklyn Nets. And number two, just to give the other example, the Milwaukee Bucks, when Giannis hit the shot and sat down at midcourt, all right, there you go. So that's exactly what we're talking about here. That's exactly what I was going to say. There's already a good okay. deal. There's already a good deal of spice built up, and the playoffs <laughs> right. are still a month away. And I love it. I also love that in this situation, the Sixers, despite leading the East and now winning the season series with the Nets, are being considered the underdog among the two teams. Is that fair? Maybe. I would rather be the underdog, though, than be the team that could end up disappointing. And I think that the guys on this Sixers team will thrive in an underdog situation because they've noticed what people are saying about them. They've noticed how people come to play against them. This is a group that's looking forward to seeing this team again. They're probably looking forward to seeing Giannis again. The odds that you see both of them again, unclear, but... Would be cool to see either of those matchups once again. Of course, visiting the Bucks later on this month, so they'll get their opportunity there. But after that game, Dwight Howard was super spicy. This game, you could tell there was some spice on both sides. I, I really am looking forward to seeing how these playoffs shape up. I've heard a lot of people around the league complain about this season being Of course, too condensed, but maybe a little boring, a little predictable, or just like not a great NBA season. I don't know what they're talking about. As a Sixers person, having covered this team all year, I think this has been a great season, and I'm only looking forward to what's to come. I am. It may surprise some people out there. I'm not a politician. Some may argue otherwise. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm a human person. I'm all for fans in the building, as long as it's done right. I think that's great. I'm totally on board with anyone and everyone making their own decision whether or not they feel comfortable being in there. I did love hearing some of the chants from the crowd, whether it was the MVP cheers for Joel Embiid, because that's not being piped in. You can tell that was real, and it was fantastic. The chants directed at KD down the stretch of the game, adding flavor that has been lacking for like a year at live sporting events. Doris, this is the most fans in a building that I've owned a game this year. This is so exciting. Of course, the Philly fans were the best in all of pro sports, but it's just so nice to feel this buzz as Embiid knocks down that shot. It was endearing. I liked hearing it. And I hope we get a chance to do that all over again in July. (laughs) All over again and louder. I think bit by bit, I like hearing it. As long as it's all being done right and everyone's doing it the right way. Yeah. Just shout through your masks. You don't need to take your mask down. Just shout through your masks. I got to be honest. I did like Kevin Durant's reaction, though, because yeah. did the did the chant like make any sense? No, <laughs> oh. it didn't. And and his reaction of just like, what is going on here? Like was funny to me. So I appreciated Kevin for sort of just taking it in stride and, and, and not getting too fired up about it or making it 
too much of a big deal. I, I thought it was an overall very bizarre, but somewhat charming interaction between Kevin Durant and the Sixers fans. He's like, what did I do? <laughs> he was just like, y'all know I'm not playing. Yeah, yeah. And also, well, they, were, I, they were a little bored at that point. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. It took me a while because it was in the in the cadence of ref, you suck, which you do hear frequently. <laughs> and so I thought that it was just like sort of like maybe muffled voices saying ref, you suck. And then by the time I figured it out, I also was confused. So anyway, whatever. I was happy to have the energy in there. Clearly, Joel and company were happy to have the energy in there. And if it gets a little weird, I'm all for it. Right. I think this is the great thing about this potential matchup should it happen again between the Sixers and the Nets. We've gone about 10, 15 minutes so far, and we really haven't discussed much of the game. There's so much compelling material and so many compelling aspects about this that I just hope that they do get to see each other at full strength at some point down the road. Um, As we dive back into the game, we talked a little bit about Kyrie Irving making his stamp in the first quarter, went off early. For the Sixers, their two All-Stars got off to a really good start. Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid combining for 19 points out of the Sixers, 32 in the first quarter. And I thought that was great to see. I thought there was some good star power on display. And I feel like it's something that Doris Burke, when she has Sixers games, she's always, I think, very consistent in talking about this. And I feel it's got to be right in line with the Devon Given school of thought about the 76ers. Doesn't matter if Ben's scoring, as long as Ben is aggressiving, we're in a good place. She always talks 100%. about it. They were talking about yep. it again last night, and they're right. Yeah, once they mentioned it and they talked about it, I, you know, immediately I go to my, you know, what I always say, aggressive Ben Simmons is the best Ben Simmons, but it doesn't always have to result in his bucket. It can result in him doing what he also does very well, putting that pressure on the defense and assisting on the, the May baskets that they do get. And we saw that early on. Now, Later on, again, we wish we would have saw it. Uh, I speak for myself, wish I would have saw it a little bit more. And um, once they were going out of the game, and look, I understand that the game was a little bit lopsided at that point, but it kind of tailed off a bit. But when he is aggressively attacking the basket the way that he he does, then I, I think that as great as Joel Embiid is, as an MVP candidate, when he is attacking, he makes them complete on the offensive end with how he goes. We know about the shooting. We know he's very selective of when he wants to take his outside shots, his fadeaway shots, what have you. But the mindset, and we saw it. And if he can continue to do that again, now with 17 games remaining, the next game tonight, and I'm sure we'll get to the Clippers game, but uh, he just continue to do that. And, and they are at their absolute best with him doing that. Because if your shooters are struggling, what do you do best? Of course, your best players get opportunities for others and your shooters are some of those others that are very good at what they do. You put the ball in their shooting pocket right where they need it and they knock those shots down and everyone confidence rises. And that's the thing, Lauren, with the way the 76ers were hitting threes in that first half, they were seven for 12 from deep. Sixers get it to Milton. He's wide open for three and it's good. The Sixers now with seven threes as Shake Milton wide open and drills it from the left perimeter. I don't know how you stop them, guys. When they're clicking like that offensively and they play the defense that they played, I think that they are, um, at least in the Eastern Conference, about as unbeatable as as any team when they're making their shots and Ben and Joe are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, they finished 46.4% from three on the night, which is great, especially when you hold your opponent 
to 19%. Brooklyn was just four of 21. So even though it seemed like at times the Sixers were getting a little bit carved up, a lot of folks that spoke last night said that their defense wasn't where they really wanted it to be last night. The perimeter defense was on lock. The Sixers did a good job of hitting shots, despite the fact that their two highest volume three-point shooters in Danny Green and Seth Curry actually didn't have big offensive nights. So cool to see other guys get involved, see shots go down. I completely agree with you. When when the Sixers are hitting threes, they're almost impossible to beat, right? And we also know that they're impossible to beat just about when Joel Embiid gets into the type of groove that he ultimately ended up getting in. And to start the game, DeAndre Jordan was able to bother him a little bit. Joel's shot wasn't falling right off the bat. But I feel like, D, this is, I mean, he's Joel's shown this time and time again this season. You can really only keep him down for so long. He is now at the point with what he has in his tool set this year where he's going to get you at some point. Yeah, last week on, on our show here, we talked about, is he back yet? And Lauren and I both felt like, based on his, what he was saying again against Boston, that he was back. And we agreed. And, and when you pointed out, you were the only one that went the other way. And you were also right with that because we really didn't see the Joel Embiid. Now we go back to Monday against Dallas, where he goes off with 36 and 26. And against the the uh, Brooklyn Nets, he does it again with 39 in, uh, what, less than 30 minutes again uh, against the Brooklyn Nets before he had to come back into the game. Joel shoots a long two just inside the top of the key, and that's good. So he's finding the rhythm and getting the touch back. Yeah, when he, when he is on a roll like we have seen him all season long, which is why we continue to talk about his MVP candidacy, he, that's how they go. That's where it all starts for them. We, we speak about the opponents and the talent that they have that the Sixers need to defend on the other end. They need to figure out how to defend him as well. While Jordan had some success early, after that, it was lights out for, for the Brooklyn Nets uh, front court with how they tried to defend him. And he, they even had to get really creative late. When they did come back in, he would catch the ball away from the paint, along, more, along the sideline. And with that, they immediately swarmed him to try to, you know, not allow him to make a play. So he's been fantastic, and I hope it continues and we get to see that carrying right through the playoffs. We saw after he dunked it in the first half, seemed a little bit wobbly there for a few moments, missed a few shots. We know, Lauren, from watching that he's trying to figure out the right level of comfort with his knee brace. You're in all the Zooms. How has he been managing all this? He doesn't love it, and he's been open about the fact that he doesn't love it. He's a guy that's worked so much on his body, on his agility, on his strength, on his endurance. And now he has this like kind of clunky thing strapped to his leg that he has to learn to deal with. And I think Joel has never, you and I talked about this, I think yesterday, Seltz, Joel has never loved having to wear any sort of brace or having to add any type of equipment to his routine. So understandably a little bit frustrated. He says that it's making it harder for him to play, harder to, to he says, he said a couple games ago that it was cutting off his circulation. It just can't be pleasant. And I, and I think you have to feel for him a little bit when you think about just how much work he's put in on his body how much work he clearly was putting in while he was away to come back at the level that he's come back at. It, it, it just, it's a bummer for him. If he says he's uncomfortable, he's not the type of guy that's going to lie. If, if he was comfortable, he wouldn't lie and say he was uncomfortable. Right. So it's a bummer to hear that he's struggling with it, but it is cool to see that he's capitalizing on what's been a difficult situation. And, and even though he says he still has a distance to go, he's looked really good since he's been back. 
still able to slash and euro step and flush yeah. at the rim, which is <laughs> insane. Is there a favorite move of his that you guys have seen the last couple of games? I feel like he's had some really excellent. I mean, he always has excellent individual plays, but there have been a couple of good ones during this stretch. Wow. Of course, that ball fake against Jordan on the left wing, giving the ball fake leading to that dunk, that was impressive. Uh, the few that he's had, I mean, he he has so many. The Euro step against Dallas, that was tremendous. There's a step by MB, beautiful shot. I mean, <laughs> Boban's able to recover. There's still a hand in his face, and he makes it. Well, he got a seven foot, whatever, two hundred and whatever, just pulled a Euro move like a point guard. Incredible agility, and it just it's the body control. Is he seven two, and you know whatever his weight is, he's seven two. And he's not 7'2 with the smaller frame. He's 7'2 with that big frame. But yet the agility and how he's able to – every time he does these things, I'm like, he's not supposed to be doing that. No, he's not supposed to do that, <laughs> right? Because he's so big. And that's, that's a move that a wing player is supposed to be – that's Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons. That's not Joel Embiid, but that's Joel Embiid. That's what makes him so special, and that's what makes him who he is, and that's what makes them – who they are and are able to go because he can unleash different things. And of course it's instinctual. Sometimes you think about it, of course, as a player, you're like, all right, I want to do this. They might take that away. What's your counter? His counter is, all right, now I'm going to Euro step and I'm going to go the other way. Meanwhile, where we would have seen it two years ago, where that may have been a charge is no longer a charge. To me, it was the fake on Jordan last night. Jab step by Joel, up fake, dribble move, in the lane, bam, with a two-hand jab. With the fake, he got DeAndre Jordan off balance, a power dribble, and a two-hand stump. I thought that it was it was pretty cool. I think anytime there's nothing between Joel and the basket, I sort of shake my head a little bit. I'm like, how'd you guys let that happen? I'm talking to the defense, of course, in my in my head. Um, and, and just that fake that really threw him off to no man's land. Joel had a clear path. It's like anytime Joel has a clear path to anywhere, the other team is in trouble. And, I, and I've loved how creative he's gotten at finding that path. And it was cool to see it happen last night. I totally agree with you too. Just so graceful for such a large human. Like I'm never not amazed at the grace and the lightness in his game. I think that's the other thing. Sometimes to me, I'm as impressed by the simple moves. It could just be a straight up straight away three and transition that he, for someone his size and build makes look right. so easy. It's insane. Yeah. Not to mention quickly the, the fadeaways that he's doing the, even even when he did against Dallas and he did the Dirk one legger and then looked at the floor or the bench, whatever he was doing, he did the Dirk one legger and again, this guy he's come he's come so far with his game and the growth overall from Kansas to everything with the team rebuilding and him at battling these injuries to where he is right now where it's he he's just a different player. We've seen these things in him, but now it's he's a complete basketball player now. Here's a hot take. One other thing to add to the pot of things we like Joel doing, the way he shoots free throws. And obviously, free throw shooting is not the sexiest part of the game. It's not the most exciting thing to watch him do. But the fact that he is his size and he's shooting what, the most free throws in the league, he's shooting them at a historic rate and he's making them at a historic rate. I'm not sure we talk about that enough. There are smaller guys. There are shooters in this league that cannot hold a candle to Joel in a free throw contest. And that is so, so, so impressive. Think about the other centers around the league, the other centers in history, the excuses that have been made for those centers to not be able to shoot free free throws. Joel doesn't see it that way. He sees them as free. He's worked on it. 
and it's working 10 for 11 last night consistently. It's almost rare that we don't see him shooting double digit free throws at this point. I'm really impressed with his work at the line. I got to be honest. Yeah. Does he have a new routine? We've always seen him at the free throw line. He blows into his hands, right? To get the, you know, moisture off of his hands, make sure he's all good. And then he kind of holds the ball in his right hand to his side. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that's new where he holds it out. I want to say that's a new wrinkle. I mean, he's had various free throw shooting routines over yeah. the, over my time with the Sixers. Yeah. And I'm willing to let him do whatever whatever works. 100%. Works. It works. I was just like, oh, that's new. All right. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I'm glad the pick has been retired. We didn't need the pick. Oh, yeah, exactly. I forgot about that one. Yeah, forgot about that one. One of the many different... Great different things about Joel Embiid in 2020-2021 versus 2019-2020. Ah, he was bored. Yeah. <laughs> the compression shorts. What do you right. want him to do? <laughs> uh. All right, so we know how the game ended. The 76ers went up by 22. The reserves, we love the reserves. But on that particular night on Wednesday, they made it interesting 76ers end up eking out a victory by the final of 123 to 117. As we wrap this up, I guess what I want to know from you guys is even if Kevin Durant and James Harden and Blake Griffin had played, would this game really have meant anything? I'll start. I'll give them, I don't I usually let you guys give takes first, but I'll I'll give mine to give a sense of where I'm going with this. I say that because to me there's a lot of time between now and the end of June. We saw as recently as the bubble that if a team gets in to a postseason situation, it can find itself and get better. I'm thinking of the Miami Heat, one of the first teams that come to mind. A team that can find itself in the postseason, come together, grow, and get better. And I do wonder if what we could ultimately see of Brooklyn, if they remain healthy, is going to be different from what the version of what we would have seen on Wednesday night anyhow would have been. And I think you say the same for the 76ers. Maybe they find out a little bit more about themselves. Maybe both teams are going to be completely different. Was it our fan side that was like, yes, there's this hype, there's this star power, have to see this side? How much of that was really relevant to what could ultimately project out to the playoffs, I guess, is what I'm wondering. I think I agree with you, Seltz. I think there's a little bit of regular season fatigue when you get to this part of the season. And players, coaches, fans, maybe fans more so than players and coaches, want to have games to look forward to. So people were looking forward to this one because it was supposed to be a preview of a potential playoff opportunity. But I totally agree with you. Both teams will likely look different skill-wise, chemistry-wise, but also intensity-wise once the playoffs roll around. So did it mean that much? Was it necessarily that much of a barometer? Maybe not, based on how much change both teams could undergo. But was it still important? I think absolutely. I think that tiebreaker is key for these 76ers. These two teams have been tied a few times over the last few weeks. So who's to say that that situation of going up, going down, and, and being tied isn't going to be the situation that they arrive on in the end? Um, so from a tiebreaker perspective, I think it always mattered, regardless of who was available. But from a personnel perspective, I totally hear you. Both teams will definitely look different in the playoffs. They will absolutely look different. Uh, when you talk about George Hill and what he could mean, and certainly the other two with Durant and, and Harden not available, absolutely. But for, from a fan perspective, and even from you know just overall basketball, 
you, you want to weigh yourself, as you said, a preview, Lauren, you want to weigh yourself against the best. And if this is a preview, you want to see how you match up against said team. And in this particular case here, it, it was the Brooklyn Nets. We'll feel the same with the two games in Milwaukee. And we wanted to see that here when they played the Bucks just a few weeks ago, Joel Embiid unavailable, but you still felt good about what you saw and trying to weigh things out. So I, I did think because of the tiebreaker nature, the number one seed overall, and the fact that how is it going to play? You know, what could ultimately develop in this game between these two teams, even though these players are not available, but you still do have some stars there. Are they going to look at it and say, oh, that's nothing compared to what we expect with the intensity of Lauren, as you mentioned later on. So I still think there, were, there was a lot to take from it. There was a lot there. A little disappointing, as we said at the top, because of the absence of a few players. But overall, yeah, it was still important. And it, there was some, still some things to be able to take away from it. And I mean, just look at it right there, the gamesmanship. Maybe that wasn't there with the certain amount of gamesmanship that you would have gotten if, if the players were all there together. But now with them not being there, now us thinking or outsiders simply pointing out that, oh, well, maybe Brooklyn just didn't really, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> but so things come out of, of, of these types of games and, and, and I love it. So I, I think it was important to wrap it all, all the way around. I think it was still an important game to uh, take away some things from. Last thing. Great news about this stretch for the 76ers. There are a boatload of intriguing matchups to come between now and the next time we dive deep. Clippers, Warriors, and Steph in the run he's on right now. The Suns, Milwaukee Bucks, two-game series on the road. Of those games between now and next Friday when we do this next, which one are you most looking forward to? Lauren, we can start with you. Ooh. Hmm. I love watching Steph Curry play. So I think if Steph Curry is available, even if it's the weakest of the three teams based on the standings, I think I look forward to that one. I just have always been a fan of his as a player, as a human, um, and seeing him succeed at the level he has after the Warriors have had a rough season over the last couple of weeks has been nice to watch. Of course, I won't be rooting for him in the game, but I do really enjoy watching him play. So I think it has to be that one, but it's 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 quite an embarrassment of riches. These next few games, they're going to be good ones. I will stay away from the obvious, and <laughs> I will stay away from the obvious, and I will go with the Friday matchup against the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, it's the second game, of course, of the season. Saw them a few weeks back on that West Coast road trip where they got the better of you on that road trip. You took care of Golden State. You beat Los Angeles. You, you fell to the Clippers. And I don't know as of yet, as we sit here today talking about this, if George and Leonard will play. They did not play Wednesday night against the Detroit Pistons in that 198 uh, late victory uh, due to Reggie Jackson's uh, shot. So I, I think it's that one because not only uh, is it a bit of a rematch there where you, maybe you'll have all hands on deck, it's also, once again, maybe a potential preview um, of what could could be in in uh, in late July, so I think I'm looking forward to what the Los Angeles Clippers are. They're seven and zero with Rajon Rondo uh, in in the lineup now, so they're playing much better basketball. Where they were stumbling, and now, unfortunately, with the injury to Jamal Murray in Denver, things are changing. Although 
you know, I still like what's going on with the number two seed overall that we'll see next Wednesday. Um, I, this could be a preview as well. So uh, that's that's where I'm going. I'm going Friday against the Clippers. Devon, I will take your obvious answer and make it my answer. Can't wait for the Phoenix Suns game. I also want to see Steph right now. He's on a tear. He's uh, dropped 29 threes over the last three games. That's never been done before. Just insanity. But Phoenix, only one and a half games off the pace in the West. One loss in their last 10 games. Second best scoring differential in the whole darn league. I know everyone knew they were going to take a step. Thought they would take a step after how they went through things in the bubble and then adding Chris Paul, some other pieces. But they've been so impressive. And I think they're showing that they're for real. They just keep winning. Um, So I am, for one, looking forward to that matchup. They beat the 76ers in Phoenix. That was a long time ago. But both teams got off to really great starts. If I'm not mistaken, that might have been the Sixers' first loss when they started all five of the regulars in a game. It was their ninth loss of the season. So if it wasn't the first, it was one of the first maybe two or three losses they had in a game where all the starters played. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. I am. I'm excited. This is a great stretch. And with the exception of the two games at Milwaukee, it's all at home. So it should be fun. Looking forward to Wednesday, of course. So. I'm not allowed to fist pump on this podcast, but <laughs> you can do whatever you want, man. There are no restrictions in your deal. Hey, people know already. That's right. We'll see. Should be a good game. Should be a good game. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I'll come on the podcast. No, I can't do that either. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Oh, Thanks. Always fun. Thanks, guys. Coming up in the days ahead here on the 76ers Podcast Network main feed Monday, next edition of Mailbag Monday. I think Lauren and I are going to have to do an official roll call and take a poll for what should be the official name of the Furcon stand. There's been a lot of activity and chatter surrounding that in the mentions. So perhaps we'll have to rally the Furcon enthusiasts out in full force and make an official ruling. Also, the return next week of Kocheck. And I believe Tom's talks as well. Plus, as we always do on Friday, our next Friday deep dive. Then there's The Scoop, our second feed for the Sixers Podcast Network. Follow us, find us, search 76ers Scoop wherever you get your pods, and you'll get daily five-minute updates on your team, your town, your 76ers. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the game. See you. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.
Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.